Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to call and equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make Him known. For more information, you can visit our website at cityofrefuge.org. We have been going through James. We've been going straight through James. Um, and maybe, uh, maybe you guys have a little bit of the same feeling in maybe your heart when we read that passage that I did when I realized I was being asked to teach it, a little bit of a heavy heart, <laughs> a little bit of a sinking feeling, a punch in the gut. Um, this is something that is, you know, James' method of communicating, he's, he's pretty much in our face, and he's, he's pointing out the things that need to change. And change is often difficult and often starts with first identifying a problem. And I'm here with you. <laughs> We're gonna be going through this together. Um, Proverbs 18.21 says that life and death is in the tongue. And that's, that's pretty deep and weighty. I think it's a good summary verse for what we're gonna talk about this morning. And James does draw a lot on on Proverbs. And for those of you who are in the class with, with me and Matt a while back, we, we talked about that, that really if you look at Proverbs, um, almost, almost everything that James says, you can link back already to the wisdom that God has given to his people. And this is one of those things. Uh, James is talking about wisdom, heavenly wisdom, not worldly wisdom, but heavenly wisdom says that our, our words are very powerful. Um, and that if we really understood that, you know, if we were able to just absorb that fully and let it work its way out into our thoughts and everything we write and speak and type, uh, this could be a one-minute message. <laughs> but it, it's, it's so difficult it's so difficult for us to absorb that, to believe it, and then to actually walk it out. Um, James gives a lot of examples in this passage, and I think it will help us to talk through it, you know, talk through it, and ask God as we're talking through it, each of us struggle in our own way. Um, James says we all struggle. James says no one can tame the tongue, but each of us are fighting in a different, maybe a different place, and it really needs to be the Lord who's showing us uh, what part of our speech does he want to sanctify this morning. <clears throat> so we've mentioned before this method that James has when he's about to get a little bit personal and he calls us brothers. So he says brothers a few times in this passage. And the first thing that he says is he says, brothers, be careful about being a teacher. Be careful. Um, but he also says, we all stumble. Oh, he's, he's, trying to, he's trying to help us see that we need to change, we need to maybe think about things differently, but at the same time, he's doing this 
because he loves us. And this is the way the Lord comes to us when we need to change. Brothers, sisters, my children. And we need to, I think, to get what to get what we need to out of this passage, we need to appreciate that. The context. This is not James casting judgment over all of us to say, you know, I'm perfect and all of you are failing. But still, for us to look like the believers that God has called us to be, we, ha- we have to call out what part needs to change. So this first warning is that teacher, teachers ought to have caution. We ought to be really careful before we even decide we want to become one because they will receive greater judgment. And this is a theme that we see throughout the Bible, from the Old Testament to the end, that teachers, the people who say that they are teaching the truth of God, will be judged and will be judged more strictly than others. And I I could probably quote many different passages. You could probably think of some yourselves. I wanted to look specifically in 2 Peter chapter 2, because I think in, in 2 Peter, it leaps off the page the type of expectations that teachers will be held to. So in, in 2 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, having, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality and become, oh, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. And jumping ahead to verse 9. The Lord knows how to rescue godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. Daring and self-willed, they do not tremble, when they revile angelic majesties. And then ahead to verse 17. These are springs without water and mists driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. So, you know, <clears throat> when, you, when you hear these words, um, you, you might wonder who would have the desire to become a teacher? Who, who would be, you know, the... And we, we, but we have, we have to understand the serious, the serious job that it is to attempt to tell people who God is. And what, 
God desires. And the only way we can enter into that is with great humility. That's the only way that we can. And from Peter, you know, Jesus, uh, the Old Testament, the prophets, all of them consistently say, we, we, we must be careful both when we become teachers, but also in who we listen to as teachers and as prophets. And there will be serious consequences for those who enter into it carelessly. And you can see a theme. And the theme in, in Peter, the things that he's saying false teachers do, teachers should not do, really overlap a lot with some of the things James is talking to the church about in his letter. You see uh, greed, sensuality, selfish ambition, careless innovation, and irreverent boldness. Now, these are things that are, again, consistently things we, we must watch out for. In James, he calls out the, the possible fruit of, of this. So if you think about the things that we've read about and learned about so far in James that probably link back to what some people were teaching, you think already at the beginning he had to correct this idea that we could blame God when we were tempted. You remember that? That we could, we could, tell, we could say it's God's fault that I sin. Um, there was a, a problem in the way that the church viewed the rich and the poor. And they were showing partiality toward the rich. It was probably being taught. Probably there were people who were saying that was okay. Um, uh, Ellen taught last week about this, <clears throat> this issue of faith versus works. And that maybe some people were teaching that it was okay to say you had faith, but not really not do anything about it, never really demonstrate your faith. So you can see that there, there is an implication, there's consequences to people who carelessly become teachers and either don't know what they're saying or are intentionally to support their own sin, saying something that's not true. And it affects the church. And that's why there's going to be a stricter judgment because it isn't just that you're affecting yourself, maybe your family, but you're affecting the rest of the family of God. So, is anyone jumping out of their seat then to join our preaching team? <laughs> well, this is not a recruiting sermon. Um, it, it, it isn't. But I did want to say, you know, this is what was going on in the church that James was writing to. You know, and, and maybe this isn't always the case. Maybe it's not always the case that a community of faith, the problem they've got is everyone wants to be teaching. Everyone wants to get up and say, I've got a word from God, whether they do or don't. And that, it is, that does happen. I mean, there are churches where that is the, the case right now, today. Like today, that's, that's the main issue. But I did want to give us maybe a little more holistic view of should, should we want to be teachers? Should people teach? Um, and I think a good passage for that is uh, Hebrews chapter 5. So if you want to turn there, 
<clears throat> I'm going to read um, Hebrews 5:11 because I think, um, and again, both of these letters written to a very similar, mostly Jewish audience, uh, very similar types of issues. But in Hebrews 5, 11, the author of Hebrews says, Concerning him, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he's an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So should we want to be teachers? So, so James says you shouldn't, and the author of Hebrews says you should be teachers by now. And I, th I think what we see is if we, think, if we think about what is he trying to say here in Hebrews, what he's saying is that teaching is a natural step in Christian maturity, but it's not the first one. It's not the first step. Um, first of all, what we have to do as believers is unclog our ears. That's the first thing. Um, he says if, we, if, we're, if we're dull of hearing, if we're not going to listen, we're not going to grow. So we're going to keep drinking the same milk if we don't unclog our ears. So that's the first step. So what is clogging our ears? So what's, what's, what's going into our ears that is not the milk of God? Why are we dull? Why, why can't we hear? You know, why can't we grow? Why have we been in the same place in our uh, walk with God for a long, long time? Why is that? So I think the first, the first person to ask is for you to ask the Lord. You know, why is that? What is clogging my ears? Why can I not grow? But as we unclog our ears and we are receptive to the truth of God, and we then obey it, because that's, that's what he says, that it, it comes through the practicing of the word. It's not just the listening to it. It's the practicing of it. But as we obey it, we grow in maturity. And as we grow in maturity, as we learn and obey and get to know who God is and what does it look like for us to be growing we see the wisdom of God we understand the gospel even more and then we become mature and we're able then to teach and to guide others I think back to you know what Jesus said when he was talking about judging you know he said first we need to remove the plank from our eye before we go try to help somebody with their speck. So this is the same idea, the same spiritual idea, is that we should first be unclogging our ears, growing in the word, obeying the Lord. But then, he says, you should be teaching. And all of us are called to teach. I mean, all of us are called. If you're a parent, you should be teaching your children. Um, 
part of the, the prophecy about what the church would look like is that the Holy Spirit would fall on all of us and we would be teaching each other, each man his neighbor. But what, what James is addressing here in the teaching is that specific role where you're teaching groups of people and you're taking on the responsibility to guide them in the word and guide them in the gospel. And that's something that should happen, but it should not happen before we unclog our ears and listen to the word and obey it and grow. So, brothers and sisters, become teachers with great caution. Okay. So that's not the only brothers that we get, though. We got another brothers. Um, so we need, to, we need to move on in James. He's not only writing to those who may want to be teachers before they're ready. The tongue is small, but it is mighty. It is small, but it's mighty. And we read some of the examples that he uses about the bridle controlling the horse, about the rudder controlling the big ship. You know, I was thinking about, in their time, what would these examples have brought up? You know, and um, for them, a small rudder driving a huge ship was probably pretty amazing. I mean, we just say, yeah, check, you know, check. Check, you can ride horses and you can send them where you want to go. Check, you can drive a huge ship where you want it to go. But I mean, this is the age primarily of when you wanted to go somewhere, you walked. And there were, you know, at this time, you know, recent, relatively recent inventions of huge ships, 100, 150 foot long ships that could be driven with a rudder. And he's bringing, bringing those examples to them to say, isn't that amazing? Isn't it so amazing? that that can be done. And it's the same way with our tongue. It's amazing. And I was thinking, you know, because I don't know, maybe to some of you, you know, a ship is amazing to you, but I think today there are things that may be more amazing. We've, we've had centuries, millennia of ships and horse riding, but a thing that I thought about was rocket ships. I mean, this is, to me, amazing. Um, it's amazing to me that I can go to a fabric store and buy a jet rocket that I can launch with my son. Like, that's amazing. Like, you know, and that we set it all, we set it up, we get ready, we count down, and you know, how old were you the first time we, Moses was probably seven years old. A seven-year-old can press a button, and this thing goes 300 feet into the air, and hopefully, you know, back down where we can catch it. But that's just the one, that's just the rocket ship you can buy at the store. And when you think about, you know, we've got rockets that, you know, we've gone to the moon, we've sent rockets to Mars. If you've ever watched, now, now we've got private companies sending rockets into space and satellites. And if you've ever seen a launch, it's just amazing the power that's there. And what, what launches the rocket? It's like an engineer in a room pressing a button, you know, it's like, boom. <laughs> so that's, that's, what I, that's what I think about. But, you know, that's not the only thing that we have made with that technology, is it? Rockets that explore the world. 
explore the universe that God made. So if you think about it, you know, the, the button, the touch of the button and what we use the technology for, we can do amazing, great, outstanding things or we can destroy, we can destroy cities. You know, do we, do we think about it before we push the button? It's very easy to push. And you know, just, just like Proverbs tells us, it's life and death. It's, li it's life or death that what we choose to use our words for. And he also talks about taming animals. And you think about the types of animals that have been tamed. You go to the zoo, you see these ferocious, fierce animals and you know, you're just whatever, talking on your cell phone, oh yeah, there's a lion, you know, there's a jaguar, you know, whatever. You think about what would happen if you actually turned the corner and there was a hungry one outside of its cage, what would you do? And you know, we think about that's that that it's so easy for us to forget the danger, the hazard that there is with our words. Um, I, you know, I think about how, you know, how would how could we have tamed a, a lion or a or a jaguar or a gorilla? I mean, how could we have tamed them? Has some some person had to go get that animal, you know, and, and bring it in? That's amazing. It's amazing. And James says, but yeah, but no one can tame our tongue. It's harder. It's harder to do than the gorilla. And we, I think, we, we, dis, we work a little dismissive about the danger of, of our tongue or how important it is for us to watch what we say and to think about it and the, and the consequences of our words. Um, <clears throat> I think sometimes, you know, we don't think of our tongue as a lion, but it's like a puppy. It's like a, it's like a small dog, not even a big dog. It's like a small dog. And some days, you know, it like, you know, has an accident on the carpet and I got to go clean it up. And, but most days it's just kind of sitting here and I like to pet it and it gives me a lot of joy. And we're like, some days it's bad, but, you know, a lot of days it's good. Um, but that's not the example we have in scripture. The example we have in scripture is like, it's a lion. And it's either defending your house, it's either killing people, or it's defending the, defending the house. It's either building great things, or it's destroying them. A lot of power, a lot more power than we give it credit for. It's not, you know, they aren't just white lies. We didn't just have to say it. It didn't just come out. We don't have a right to always speak our mind. We just, there's so many ways that we just justify and minimize the impact of our words. And it, it's more like 
something that has the power to send someone to Mars or to destroy an entire city. And it, and it shouldn't be that we're doing both of those things with the same mouth. It shouldn't be. That's what James says. Brothers, words are powerful. And we know words are powerful. We know that they're more than just something that fills up the space. We know that. Um, Hebrews, again, says that the Word of God is living and active. It's like a two-edged sword. God's Word pierces, and it cuts, and it slices. It's like a weapon. And John says that Jesus is the Word made flesh. Jesus was not a great man who sometimes said good things. Jesus was the Word of God made flesh. This was how, this is, this is like fundamentally in like spiritual terms, this is how important words are. It's that God said, my son is my word. So we got we to gotta watch it, brothers, we got to watch it. We got to think about the things that are coming out of our mouth that shouldn't be coming out of our mouth. Uh, talking about people gossiping, complaining, criticizing grumbling, all of those things. They shouldn't be coming out of our mouth. We have, not just because of the negative Im impact that they have, but because they're, they're taking, they're using the one tool that we have that should be building, that should be empowering, that should be blessing, that should be speaking truth. So we can't, I can't say two things at the same time. So we need to be picking. Um, in James, he's already addressed our speech. And in fact, at the end of James, he'll tell us all the great things we should be doing with our speech. But he's already said, don't say God's tempting me. Don't say to the poor man, sit over there by yourself. He said to the rich, don't blaspheme the name of Jesus. Don't speak in judgment. When somebody comes to you for help, don't say, be filled and let them go. And you know, he started in James 1. He said, if you can't bridle your tongue, not watch out, you'll hurt people, or not, you won't be liked. He said, your religion is worthless. So our speech is directly tied to our soul and our spiritual life. And it's, 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 it's that weighty. So, so, so the question I asked next, as I'm wrestling with this, um, deciding whether I'm going to be qualified to speak about these things, is so wh why would I have that button? Why would God give me that button? That's supposed to be for the president. The president and like lots of smart people, they all have to decide whether to press that button. And then I got it. I got that button. Everyone here has that button. Why did God give it to us? Why did God give us such a ferocious beast that no one can tame? 
And you remember Jesus said that to whom much has been given, much is required. And if you think about the talents, in the parable of the talents, he says, I'm giving you some things. I'm giving you some power. I'm giving you some responsibilities. And what are we to do with those things? What are we to do with them? What do we do with our, with our, with our mouth and the opportunities we have to write and to speak? So I, I suspect, I think we need to then suspect that the reason God gave this to us was he didn't want us to just be tiptoeing around landmines for the rest of our life. Oh, please, uh, don't, don't say anything. Now, okay, James did say to be slow to speak. <laughs> but he didn't say, cut your tongue out. And there's a difference, isn't there? I mean, we, I think we know this. I think, I think we know when he said be slow to speak, and when he said, not many of you should be teachers, he didn't mean never say a word again and never tell anyone what you know about God. But what he's saying is, we have to be careful. And why did he give us that button? Why did he give me that lion on my front porch with no fence? <laughs> why did he do that? And, I, and I've got to suspect that it's because there are amazing things that God can do with our words if our words are sanctified to him. Like, I got to believe that. I got to believe that the, the types of destruction that we've probably personally experienced through what people have said, you know, to us, about us, to people we care about, about people we care about, that, those kinds of things where we just, just blows up things destroys relationships for a long time. If we've seen the power of words to do that, it should actually force us to, to meditate on what are the powerful things that God can do with words that are given to him. And Clearly, we have examples to point to, of course, Jesus, the apostles, the scriptures. These are life-giving, amazing words. But I don't believe that they just stopped there. I don't believe that the Holy Spirit who indwells us has only given the apostles the ability to write down things that are powerful. He continues to give us as his people, the ability to use our words in powerful ways. So as we're thinking, I, don't, I also don't want us to set our sights short that what we're being called to be as his people are people that just don't offend anyone. Like that just, you know, don't, don't say anything that hurts people's feelings. You know, we're just nice or just really quiet. That's not what he's calling us to. He says, he compares it to, there's a life-giving spring that should be coming out of our mouth. So what he says, he, does, he doesn't really say it, but what he says here is, we shouldn't be cursing because we should be blessing. And he's referencing what Jesus taught us. 
You know, Jesus taught us that we should not curse our enemies. Remember? But we, we should bless. And I, and I thought back to Christ, and I thought back to some of the examples that he gave us, things that we can do. I remember when he first met Nathaniel in John, and he saw Nathaniel coming. And do you remember what he said? He said, um, this is a... Now, he had also already had a vision and saw Nathaniel before, so there was actually special supernatural empowerment by Christ to know this man. But while he walked up, he said, this is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. He just says it to the crowd of people that are around here. That is a good man. And that's blessing. He didn't have to say it. He knew it. He knew it was a good man. He didn't have to say it, but he said it. So he's blessing him. The way I talk about blessing is it's to proclaim or to cause or to petition praise or favor for someone. So are we, are we using our mouth to do that? It's not easy to do. It is not something that we will pick up if our model for communication is not really Jesus. I mean, Jesus is probably, probably the only one we can look to who is consistently doing that. But we've got, we've, we, we are not going to pick it up. Just going to school, going to work, we're not going to pick up blessing each other. Like we're going to get it from God. And as we do, we'll get it from each other. Learn how to do it as a community. But blessing is to speak to someone or about someone something that is positive, wishing them well, the favor of others and the favor of God on them. And as, as a church, it's something that we could, we could grow in. You remember when Jesus was on the cross, the people, the very people that were killing him, that had tortured him and were killing him, do you remember what he asked God for? Remember, he asked God that they would be forgiven. Forgive them. They don't know what they do. I mean, they kind of knew what they were doing, didn't they? I mean, I mean, they didn't know deeply, but I mean, if this was any per- even if this wasn't the Son of God, was the way they were treating him just? Was that a just way to treat someone? It wasn't. And he's not calling out his rights here. He is saying, I want the best possible outcome for you, for you people that are killing me. And we see the Holy Spirit then fill the church. And the first martyr, Stephen, when he's being stoned, he says the same thing to the people who are killing him. Because he lies, lies about the faith, really. He says, Father, don't, don't hold this against them. So that's, those, are, those are some kind of examples of what, is it, what does it mean for us to bless it means for us, no matter how people are treating us, for us to use our words to proclaim we desire for God's favor to be on this person. I see God's favor on you. I see the good things that God has done in your life. And I want to promote those. 
and we'll we'll get to James 5. It's interesting, you know, as I was reading through this, that at the end of James, the last chapter, um, one of the things he does is list all of the things we should be doing with our mouth. So all of the, so far, the things we shouldn't be doing. That's that's the straw that I drew. But but when we get to chapter five, all the other things we should be doing, all of the things that will help us to train our mouth in righteousness, prophecy, honesty, asking for help, confession, correction, rebuke. That's what the church, that's what we should be using our words for. Not division, gossip, complaining, not uh, out of fear, keeping our mouth shut because we're afraid what we might say. And we got to practice. We got to practice. We got to be led by the Holy Spirit. We got to try to bless. And you know what? It's awkward at first. And people may actually take it the wrong way and get offended. I don't know. He's like, it's something that takes practice, our words. They take, it takes practice. And we can show each other grace as we're trying. But that's, that's, what, God, um, that's what God is calling us to, brothers and sisters, is we need to see the importance of our words. And we need to trust that his Holy Spirit will guide us in the use of them. And, if, and, and I may anticipate a question. Uh, I've heard this before. I've heard this before, and it's hard, and I don't know that I'm making any headway. And, and I think what I would say to that is um, to persevere. And the Holy Spirit, if we're talking to God about it, if we're asking for the power of God um, to help us with our words, he will. He will help us. Go back to the pattern the brief pattern that Hebrews 5 lays out for us in our maturity is first unclog our ears, listen to the truth, attempt to speak in a righteous and pure way, and let God correct us. And go, you know, go back. I need to unclog my ears some more. I need to spend some more time in the Word. I need to spend some more time in prayer. And He will, over time, He will, He will purify our words. Don't, um, I would say don't this message is intended, I mean, I think what James is trying to do is to make sure everyone here, everyone who happened to show up to church today knows words are important, okay? And so we all do, but his, I don't think his point is to, to drive us to despair um, because the Lord does provide the help that we need to grow in this area. So I'd like to pray for us. God, we thank you. We thank you that you have called us as your people. We thank you that you have forgiven us of our sin and that in front of you, because of Christ, we are blameless. We also, as we have already this morning, confessed our faults to you. We take a moment to confess the way we've misused our words. We ask God for your Holy Spirit to remind us before we speak of the importance and the choice that we have, life or death. I pray that you would give us more courage to speak for those of us who are reluctant to speak. I pray for those of us who 
speak carelessly, that you would help us to control our words before they come out. I pray that you would send us people who can model for us Christ-honoring speech. We pray, God, that our church and the way that we speak to one another and to those outside the church would point to the purity and righteousness of Jesus, how awesome he is, and the power that he has to control something and tame something that no one of us can tame. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.